0: My guest today is Cindy Gallop or Lucinda Lee Gallup, is her full name. And Cindy is quite something. I would say she is a real destigmatization pro, a genius if it comes to tell it like things are and then make them market ready. You guessed it. Cindy was an incredible advertiser, a female Don Draper. And we had many conversations over dinner about the rebranding of psychedelics. I wanted to have her on a show because she engaged on a psychedelic journey, not because of mental health reasons. She did it because of very simple curiosity and lust for life, which are also fair reasons to engage in a journey like that. Cindy studied English literature at Oxford, receiving an MA in English language and literature. She was an English advertising consultant. Founder and former chair of the U.S. branch of the advertising firm Bartle Bogle Haggerty. She worked on accounts like Coca-Cola, Ray-Ban, and Polaroid. In 2003, Cindy won the Advertising Woman of the Year award from Advertising Women of New York. She's also the founder of the companies If We Run the World and of the company Make Love Not Porn. According to Ted, where she had her famous talk, Make Love Not Porn. Her talk was one of the most talked about presentations at the 2009 TED conference. She founded her own brand and business innovation consultancy, Cindy Gallup LLC, in 2006. And she recently, with 62, embarked on her first high dose of magic truffles. She says about herself to be boringly drug resistant, but... After her experience, things, aka her life, changed. Cindy says, what I did just reinforced for me was a sense of the history and the broadness of humanity and the importance in the future looking into the void of finding light and connections. Which is, if you know Cindy, a very different vocabulary that she is using than otherwise. So, I can just say this was a very entertaining episode, also because Cindy is a great speaker and is always good to launch new thoughts and new ideas of the world, also about the world of psychedelics. Please enjoy the show with Cindy Gallup. Cindy Gallup, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. We once did a podcast a while ago, but before our psychedelic careers.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Everything has changed since then, but I mean, um, you're really a legend. One could say you're a very specific person that doesn't exist, um, often in our world. So, and, um, I saw you, I think a couple of years ago performing at the tech open air in Berlin, talking about, I think already about, um, make love, not porn. So, um, but first of all, uh, I want to ask, since you just have done a couple of months ago, your your first high dose of psilocybin or psychedelic experience in that way, what has changed since then?
1: Sure. So um, um, I think what I'd like to do for the benefit of our listeners, and it's just contextualize um, this experience um, in a couple of ways. Um, the, the first is that, you know, this was a particularly fascinating experience for me because I describe myself as boringly drug resistant. And what I mean by that is, you know, back in college, as we all did, I smoked a bit of weed. It had zero impact on me. So I, you know, didn't bother, you know, um, uh, doing anything with it subsequently. I've tried edibles at various junctures over the years. They've never worked on me. You know, once took LSD, you know, didn't have any impact apart from some visual effects. So, you know, I am somebody who, um, has therefore not had a lot of experience with altered states, you know, um, through any any form of kind of, you know, artificial stimulant or whatever. And so this was an especially interesting experience for me in that context, you know. And then, and then the second, second thing I'd say is, you know, I want to give you full credit for, um, basically brokering the experience. um, (laughs) That's a nice word. Um, but, but also because, so, you know, how it came about really was back last fall when you were in town for Horizons.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
1: Yeah, and you and I and our dear friend Susan Danziger were hanging out, you know, around her dining table. And, you know, and, and, and first of all, you, you know, um, you said to me, um, oh, there's a great party this Friday night, whenever it was that you should come to, you know, um, you know, and, and I thought, you know, Gosh, well, I mean, I won't know anybody there apart from Anne, but, but, you know, if Anne says it's going to be a great party, it's going to be a great party. So I'm totally showing up. So I, I went to the um, Palo Santo Ventures party. I think that that's who was hosting it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Anne, that I have never been to an event, a party where so many people came up to me and said, are you Cindy Gallup? I love Make Love Not Porn.
0: Oh, wow. You know,
1: literally. Um, and, and I thought, oh, my God, this is my try, because clearly there's a massive overlap between psychedelics and, you know, sex positivity, basically. So um, so I was very struck by that. By the way, the party was wonderful. I had a whale of a time. But, but I was especially struck by the extraordinary number of people who recognized me, you know, knew make love, not porn, thought it was wonderful. I was really blown away by that. Um, so. So you know that really interested me in the psychedelic
0: community generally. It's a very specific world.
1: Yeah. And um, and then, you know, you you had um originally recommended to Susan, you, you know, the, the concept of therapist managed um journeys. And you recommended Hans and Janine of the Experiential Training Institute. And and Susan told me that, that you would said to her, if you're going to do this, you know, these guys are the best, you know, best in the game. And boy, oh boy, you were absolutely right. And um, and here's another reason why this experience had a, had a very profound effect on me. And because, so you know, obviously, um, you know, the first thing Janine and Hans did um, via Zoom was, you know, do a screening call with me because they are rigorous in checking that you are mentally and physically, you know, in the right place, in the right state to, to undergo the journey. And so, you know, fortunately I passed all of that, but, um, I was very entertained by the fact that Janine and Hans were astonished that they were talking to somebody who has lived in New York for 25 years, who
0: has never been in therapy. So they went, what? (laughs) Yeah, it is unusual. It's unusual. Yeah. And,
1: and, you know, and, and I'll come back to that fact because, you know, I, I'm a very fortunate person who has never been in therapy because I've had no need of it. And that's something the journey reinforced um, and Hans and Janine re- re- reinforced. But it's precisely because I've never been in therapy that this experience gave me a glimpse of what brilliant therapy is like. And that was also revelatory to me. So, um, uh this was you know as you know um this was an incredibly kind early birthday gift from our dear friend susan you know uh, which which is a wonderful idea as i say inspired by you and so you know we um met up in amsterdam um last month and hans drove us out to this wonderful retreat place in the country um it was lovely being in the dutch countryside but also this place was gorgeous you know a lovely kind of house um, setting where we, you know, stayed and slept and then a lovely yurt in the garden as well. And, you know, th- there, there were so many things that were fantastic about that, about experience, but, um, you, you know, I think the things to highlight for our listeners, um, and anybody who like me is psilocybin curious rather than a veteran as, as you are.
0: I'm not, a ve- oh, I started very late too. I mean, right, right. Yeah, but, but I, I keep going. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, uh, so, You know, because because of how Janine and Hans managed the process, I just felt so safe, secure and looked after at every point. You know, uh, um, obviously part of what they do is throughout your journey, you know, you have one of them beside you. You know, um, Hans sat with Susan. Janine sat with me. We were in different places. I was in the yurt. Susan was in the house. But just, you know, the entire process was so thoughtful um, and. You know, I, I, I just felt, you know, we had the best possible guide, guides for it. And, you know, that that extended from, again, you know, ahead of, um, actually meeting up in, 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 the Netherlands, um, you know, um, a preparation call where, you know, they, um, asked us to set our intentions. They gave us a very clear idea of what to expect, you know, um, I mean, what, what to expect in terms of the process, not the journey, because they said, you know, whatever you think they yeah, expect, it won't know. be. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and again, just um, so our listeners know, I mean, I was very honest about the fact that I had no particular agenda beyond being extraordinarily curious. You know, I've been fascinated by Susan and her husband's experiences, you know, as as I heard them. And so I was just very, very curious to to go on this journey. Um, But but you do need to set an intention. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, the, the the thing that I'm most focused on at the moment is, um, as you know, I'm raising funding for Make Love Not Porn to scale. And so, you know, I, I, and, and I'm saying this because all of this relates to what I actually experienced. And so I said... You know, I'm, you know, my, my single most important thing to me is that I'm able to scale my business and make it successful. And, you know, I'm feeling quite blocked on that front. And so I guess, you know, if, if there's any kind of intention I'm going to set, it's that, you know, I would love to get a different perspective on things, you know, a different way of looking at them to kind of unblock this process of taking my business to, to success. So, so, so that, that was the intention that I set. Cool. Oh. You know, so, so, so the um, the whole process was was three days. We had a day of preparation, we had a day of journeying, and then a day of integration. Um, you know, f- following the the journey, and you know, the, the preparation was terrific because. Jean and Hans took us through a number of exercises. And I won't, you know, give details because if anyone's going to do this, they need to kind of go into it, you know, without you know, going to encounter. But I was very impressed with, you know, the, the way that they prepared us. Um, then um, the actual day of the journey was interesting because, you know, first of all, as you know, you have to fast for two hours beforehand. Um, so... Um, We we were going to have to, you know, start fasting from seven o'clock in the morning because Janine and Hans are arriving at nine. And then equally, they said, and the only thing you can eat before you start fasting is potatoes, because potatoes come from the ground as mushrooms come from the ground. The potatoes speak to the mushrooms, which I thought was a lovely idea. Basically, yes. Yeah. (laughs) So so Susan and I set our alarm at 6 a.m., <laughs> got up and boiled potatoes, <laughs> which were actually delicious <laughs> with, with, you know, salt and
0: with nothing kind of. Yeah,
1: yep, yep, with nothing. And, and then um, we um, t- and then Janine had also said, do get some exercise because you're going to be lying, you know, in, 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 indoors for quite a long time. So. You know, we, we did a brisk walk in the darkness of the Dutch countryside along the nights, you know, trying not to get run over by cars on the road, um, got some fresh air. And then, um, uh, um, Janine Hans turned up with the mushrooms or truffles as they call them. And, uh, and they said to us that, um, they get their truffles from a man who breeds them specifically for, you know, various effects. And, and they said, what we've asked for is, you know, less focus on the visual part of the journey, but much more on the emotional manifestation, you know.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, those are very good quality truffles. Um, So so then we, um, they had us grind them. We each had a little pestle and mortar and we ground them and kind of set our intention, you know. Um, And and then then Janine basically made the um, psilocybin tea, infused, you know, um, them in flasks. And then Susan settled in in the house, and we went to the yurt. And you know they had lovely, comfy mattress laid out. You have eye masks, you know, lots of blankets. You're tucked in. You're very cozy, and you have the music playing. You have the soundtrack where, as the music changes, then what you are experiencing, you know, will change as well. Um, and and again, you know, I love the fact that. You know, Julian had said to us, if you if you experience anything that unnerves you, you can just put a hand out. We'll hold it. We'll be there for you. When you don't want the hand any longer, you can just stop it. Um, you know that they'd said to us. Um, uh, they talked about experiencing, encountering what they call oysters, and they used the metaphor because an oyster is rough and ugly on the outside. And what they said was, you know, if you encounter anything that appears negative, frightening. Don't avoid it. Go towards it because oysters have pearls, and actually within something that seems, you know, kind of threatening, mm-hmm. you know, there will be some gem that that is an insight or something that you need to experience. So, um, so, so I drank the tea. You know, laid back. I'm Um, You know, um, in line with my famous drug resistance, it took quite a long time to work. <laughs> So, so, uh, so according to Janine, it took about an hour. Um, Susan began, you know, to, um, journeying about half an hour in, um, and it, um, and you know the first thing I would say was that it was fascinating to me um, to, to to have this state of consciousness where you know I knew all the time where I was. You know, I was lying in a yurt in broad daylight. You know, because under the uh, under the eye mask, I could see a little bit of light but at the same time i was in some other space entirely and and so that, that 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 to me was just fascinating and you know i'm sure there's nothing more boring than listening to other people's silent journeys um and and i will just say that um susan's was especially interesting because she had some things that she really wanted to shed light on and and in that context what she experienced was i found fascinating mine was you know possibly less less interesting but The thing that characterized it was um, so, you you know, and again, you know, know all this, but for the benefit of our listeners, um, you know, it's taking effect when you start seeing fractals, you you see kind of shapes and those became three dimensional shapes. And then for me, they resolved into a series of um, ancient ruins and historical landscapes. So, um, I was looking at, um, you, you, know how when you see places like Machu Picchu or Angkor, um, so what, what yeah. we get looking at now mm-hmm. are the ruins and then you see the outlines of the cities. You know, there's green grass and then there are low stone walls. And so I was looking at a series of landscapes like that. And, and, and they began as, as, as being, you know, identifiably Indian kind of temple ruins, historic buildings. They transitioned to East Asian. You know, at some point they were, you know, English country houses of the eighteenth century. So, so I cycled through a whole bunch of different landscapes, but um, but the key thing that, that that was the sort of defining point of of my journey throughout was always whatever I was looking at um, in front of me was an ever changing series of faces. And these faces were, there was nobody I knew. Um I, I saw Susan once or twice later on in the journey, but they were faces of all, you know, genders, races, ethnicities, mixed in with some quite unpleasant faces. So there were, you know, those evil spirit masks that you have in Japan, China, you know, brightly painted, you know, devil horns, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure.
1: And there were also um faces of people... Um, who'd had violence inflicted on them. So the people with cutthroats, you know, brains bashed in. Um But the great thing was that in none of this d- did I feel frightened or unnerved. I just went, ooh, that's not very nice, but it's going to change. Because the faces kept, you know, changing, changing, changing. And that was the recurring motif all, all the way through. Um but w- what was interesting was, um, while I was looking at these historical landscapes, you know, I looked at these Indian ruined temples and in a niche, I saw the Indian god Ganesh, the, the elephant god, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Ganesh smiled and waved at me. Okay. Which is really nice. You know, and I'll come back to that because that, that was, I didn't realize the, the symbolism of, of that. Anyway, um, you know, to, uh, again, because I don't want to bore, bore our listeners, um, changing faces and then, um, at one point, everything went black and very dark. And whoa, I went, wow, you know, then I thought, okay, you know, Janine and Hans said, you know, oysters, you know, you know, I, I thought, right, darkness, I embrace you. I go towards the blackness. You know, I'm going to find something in the blackness. And it took a while, but then I saw little points of light and I realized I was looking into the cosmic void in, in some form or other. And then the faces changed. They became planet of the apes alien warriors kind of you know there's a, a sci-fi element then I had a 2001 a space odyssey moment because I just saw the face of a giant baby and and the baby kind of then dissolved and I, I was still looking at blackness and I knew by this stage I was coming out of the journey and I thought I don't want to end on blackness you know give me something more and then I saw you know pinpricks of light so I saw there was light in the void and then I went okay right you know now I'm now, now I'm done and it turned out that I had been journeying for nine hours, which, as had Susan. We both, I mean, those were good quality travels, you know, because because I gathered the average length is only about five hours, you know. And, and so we, we both um, were journeying for, for nine hours. And it, the integration day, again, was fascinating because Hans and Janine were terrific at bringing meaning, you know, and, and interpretation to all of this. Um, and as I say, Susan's especially interesting, but, but just to kind of, you know, conclude with what was interesting. So, um, you know, when we were talking and, 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 they, they have you kind of drawn right down in sketch pads immediately follow it when when you wake up, you know, so you don't kind of lose any of it. And so I said, um, you know, I saw Ganesh and Ganesh was smiling and waving at me and um, Hans said to me, do you know what Ganesh is the God of? And I went, um, I don't actually, because um I know he's a very important god in the Hindu pantheon. But, you know, I, I, now, now I think about it, I don't actually know what he represents. So Hans said, they'd had us draw cards from a deck. And Hans said, I drew a card myself yesterday, but now I realize the card was meant for you. And he showed me the card and it was Ganesh. And Ganesh is the god of the, he is the clearer of obstacles, so he clears the way. And the, the interpretation of the card said something along the lines of, you know, um, you've been very frustrated, you've had all these blocks, there was a reason for that. If you had gotten what you wanted, it would have ended in failure. Now all of the obstacles are cleared, you know, the path is clear ahead, you you are absolutely going to, you know, achieve what you want to. And I went, wow. I mean, if I take one thing away from my journey, that is just fantastic in terms of, you know, what I want to do for and with Make Love Not Porn. And so for me, that was really interesting. Um, But as I say, um, you know, Susan's experience was especially interesting because she had more enlightening things happening than I did. And Janine and Hans had also had us do a questionnaire ahead of this whole experience. And they showed us our scores on the integration day. And Janine said to me, Cindy, if you came to me, if you came to my office as a therapist, I would kick you out because you have no need of therapy whatsoever and show you my scores and happy child and healthy adult were off the charts. And so fortunately we reinforced the fact that, you know, I I don't need therapy, but um, precisely because of that, I was so impressed with the therapy part of this as well.
0: But I mean, I think like that's a really interesting example with you because it also shows that it's not necessarily something in the future, even more that people will do just because of therapy or trauma, which is sometimes coming up, but it doesn't have to basically. So, and can also give you like, let's say, inspirations for your business or for you, you get ideas that you would never have otherwise. But I mean, my, my question, my, when, when I heard that you guys have done it, my first question was like, I want to ask Cindy, if her relationship to love has changed.
1: <laughs> right. You, you know, do, do you know, Anne, I'll Afterwards. be perfectly frank, I was yeah. hoping for a lot more sex in my journey than actually transpired. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the only moment um, that, um, that, 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 that that was something like that was, and, and actually when I saw this, I thought, oh, for God's sake, how cliché, but looking at those Indian ruins on one wall were figures from the Kama Sutra. So there you go. And as I watched, they were all moving. They were all moving in their various sexual positions. You know, I did think, oh, my God, that's so cliche for me. <laughs> you know? But um, but, you know, I think uh, what, what I would say, Anne, is, um, you know, I already, um you know, I'm lucky to have started a business that is all about love. Because at Make Love Not Porn, we see nothing but love. We celebrate nothing but love. We are all about nothing but love. And by the way, as as a startup founder, I feel very unfortunate to have started a business that enables me to experience love every single day. And so, you know, I wouldn't say that my relationship to love um, changed. Um, I think, if, if anything, um, you know, what I, what I was seeing over time – oh, and, and by the way, when I um, talked about the faces, you know, Hans said to me, could those have been your past lives? And, you know, you know that, that, uh, I hadn't thought of that at all. I went, wow, well, there were an awful lot of them. He said, the world is very old. <laughs> you know, you've had a lot of past lives. So, so that's very interesting. My past and future lives, maybe with the sci-fi aspect of it, you know, but, um, but, but I think, I think um, what it did just reinforce for me was, you know, a sense of, you know, the, the history and the broadness of humanity and, and, you know, the importance in the future, looking into the void of finding light and connections. And I think that just kind of reinforces my philosophies anyway. Um, but, um, but, you know, um, all of that just felt, um, you, you know, throughout the entire journey, I, I felt, as I say, completely safe. You know, I didn't encounter anything that I recoiled from or that unnerved me. And so, you know, that
0: was all very reassuring in a way. But I mean you um you're half Chinese, half British, right? I mean your mother is, is Chinese. So and at one point a lot of people, maybe in in the, the trips to come, suddenly reconnect in a very interesting way with let's say the the people or the, the countries, the nationalities they come from. Not necessarily sometimes in a very direct way. It's like, oh, you're from here, you can see the German Alps or something. So but um, was there anything that was striking you as reconnecting with your Chinese ancestors?
1: Well, well it's interesting you ask that, Anne, because um, in amongst these faces that kept cycling through in front of me, um, there was one face that, that recurred several times, which was a, a, a Chinese looking East Asian woman and 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 not not a face I recognized, but because I, I I was thinking also theoretically that this should be my mother you know but but it wasn't my mother you know um so mm-hmm. you know t- um so I don't know who that was but 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 she was you know this chinese woman- what w- was undoubtedly a recurring motif um you know the, the other faces didn't recur but but this
0: one woman um I did see several times and how did this how did this make you feel did you did you have like a a warmth for like an like a, a wish to open up to this, maybe also more to this culture? Uh,
1: I think um, because, I, you know, I, I, I very much embrace both halves of me and, and I grew up in Asia and, and all of that. So I, I didn't, you know, uh, in all of this, actually, I was looking, I was just looking at everything with interest. You know, one thing Hans identified um, within um, the, the, the prep work um, was that, you know, I have a certain detachment um to 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 situations and that you know i am um i am a classic aquarian you know a lover of humanity and all the world you know, me too. You know you, you, yeah so you know the qualities of aquarius and so and so the, all of this is more me me observing you know as interesting things played out before me um you know it's interesting too because i i did quite want to you know, uh, I found I had no agency in, in any of this because, you know, at one point I went, okay, you know, I'm seeing all these faces, you know, in different contexts. I think at this point I was seeing these faces as if they were engraven in ancient stone with desert dust sweeping across them. And so I did think, you know, okay. You know, I'm kind of bored with faces. I like to see something else, you know, come on, let's <laughs> show share. me something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I couldn't change that. You know, I had no agency at all, um, in terms of kind of, I mean, obviously as the, as the music changed, things changed, but whatever, whatever I was looking at, there were always these faces in front of me. So, so I was, you know, I was kind of observing more than anything else.
0: But maybe it's also that you are somebody who is, who's kind of working with people the best, maybe it may because I mean, obviously this is what your, your, your company is about, but of course, one thing I asked myself after preparing for this, because you're very outspoken that you have not been married. You not necessarily would like to be in a romantic relationship for, <laughs> yep, <absolutely not. laughs> absolutely not. Yep. even with the young guys, you kind of meet them on Tinder and uh, so, I mean, I'm just saying this because you, you're very outspoken about this too. And in Daily Mail, I, I was an article about you. So, and I was wondering, so did you get an idea about why you would actually, let's say, not wishing for a, a classic idea of romantic relationships? I'm just saying it a little bit more specific now, Um, or was it something that, because I mean, what a lot of people experience in these trips um is that they actually, for the first time, maybe after a long time in their lives, they reconnect to the, the feeling of love. It doesn't have to be for a specific person, just in general, which brings them then sometimes in coming back out of the trip to reconnect or redefine their love for maybe friends, partners, business partners, so is it, is there something, has something happened for you in, in that context? I, I'm super curious because. <laughs> so, um,
1: um, so, so the answer to be perfectly frank, Anne, is no. And, and I think okay. that's because, I think that's because, um, you know, Janine said to me, um, and, and, you know, I share this, um, just because a lot of people make the same observation. She, she said to me that, you know, I was somebody who struck her as being extraordinarily in harmony with every part of myself. Um, and I'm completely fine. You know, I've, I've, I've made my own choices, you know, over the course of six to three years, because, you know, but people say to me things like, you know, Cindy, how do you get this confident, you know, this couple yourself? And I go six to three years of life, you know, because that's what happens as, as you age. Um, but, you know, I, um, you know, I, I am, very, very happy with the choices I've made. Um, And and, and just to explain to our, our listeners, you know, I actively, I'm that very rare person who does not want to be in love. And when you strip the desire to be in love out of your life, you strip so much bullshit out of it at the same time. And also, it's, it's very time efficient. So, you know, I'll be reading a women's magazine, okay, and I'll come to the article about relationships. I go, not interested, boom, boom, boom. So, so w- w- when, when you never read anything to do with relationships and love, wow, that saves you so much time in your life. Um, so, uh, uh, so no, no, to be honest, um, and, you know, I, I was very comfortable with, with how I am going into this. I was equally comfortable coming out of it, and, and there weren't any revelations of that, of that type. Um, you know, if anything, um, you know, the exercise, um, overall, uh, um, reinforced the fact that, you know, t- um, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to have a, you know, stable, happy childhood. Um, you know, t- um, you know, um, I, I mean, I wouldn't have discovered like that myself because with a Chinese mother, my childhood was characterized by extreme academic pressure. <laughs> Tiger mother in, in a big Tiger way. mom, yeah. Yeah. Um which is not great when you're a kid, um, to be frank. But but, you know, in terms of kind of giving me the best possible foundation for a life, you know, my parents certainly did that. And so, you know, I I um didn't have any kind of holes to be filled, as it were, any sort of relationship to You know, love that, that I think needed any kind of uncovering or, you know, um, so, um, so the answer
0: I'm afraid is very boring. It's no, no, it's just (laughs) interesting. No, it's not boring, but I mean, do, do you feel that because a lot of people, including myself, they talk about how their attachment styles have changed after psychedelics, not necessarily only around falling in love, but just being, for example, super open suddenly with people and don't feel like, Oh God, my friend or whoever it is will certainly think I'm like totally crazy to, to open up about things. And I find often the longer I do this, that the less time it takes me to really say, tell people, well, this was really hard for me. This was really, um, this overwhelmed me in a way I never thought it would. So And, and I think I would have done, it would have taken me like years before, even to close friends, to admit stuff like that. So, and I find it very relaxing, um, to be able to, um, to not kind of dramatize everything like in this Carrie Bradshaw neurotics. So, and just say like, oh, well, I feel this way about it. I feel that way about it. Is this something that you experienced afterwards in, in in your whole closer friend circle?
1: Oh well, well. To be perfectly honest, then, as you know, I'm very open about everything.
0: <laughs> so, so, so yeah, but still, yeah. I mean, you you also, I mean, it could be also, you know, you you have your persona out there, and so you're very open. But it could be there's some there's also a rather private Cindy that sometimes is not so.
1: No. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm 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 an open book. So, 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 so again, the, the answer to your question is no, Anne. But but I can totally see how that how that would work for people who need it. And, and I have to tell you, I mean, coming out of this experience, I'm recommending it to everyone I know, and uh, and I'm recommending it especially with Janine and Hans because I just think, as you said, they are the people to do it with. But 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 I can now absolutely see how it's an absolutely fascinating way of addressing things like what you're talking about um, um, it, um in a way that that, that feels very organic but because essentially it, it it comes out of you it, you know what, what is manifesting is, is what is within you yeah exactly and so you know you are enabled through psilocybin to you know find solutions yourself find answers yourself for things that you need help with or healing, or you know, and and so I think it's absolutely fascinating in that respect, and and highly recommended um, for anybody who you know um, would would like to do something transformative that that will set them you know on, on a different way of being in a different path and a different way of looking at themselves and and, and things that they want to resolve.
0: Okay. And another thing I wanted to talk to you about is, I mean, I mean, when we met the first time, I think like 2019, we had the first conversation also at the same dinner table, <laughs> like the one last time at Susan's, um, that how that, that it was still kind of a, obviously a problem around the stigmatization of psychedelics. And you are a master of stigmat destigmatization by yourself, like Julia Childs for, Cooking, basically you're for sex, <laughs> if I can say that. And, um, so, and back then you said something very interesting, like that then would need to be another word for psychedelics. But now you feel like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the John Oliver uh, show on HBO that's going around. Like he really has this almost like 20 minutes or 10 minutes thing, um, about, the MDMA-assisted therapy that's gonna come on, like how psychedelics work, how why they didn't weren't allowed and scheduled. So, do do you feel in your context that is this destigmatization is making progress, or do you still feel there needs to be a completely new vocabulary around this?
1: So, so here's what's really interesting um, in response to your question, um, Anne. So. I, um, as you know, um, I am very open about everything on social media. Um, to, and in fact, you know, I recommend to people, you know, I'm just being myself on social media. And so I'm sharing everything, you know, from business things to, you know, um, what I'm doing with my friends, etc. So I wanted to share this experience publicly on social media. You know, first of all, I absolutely asked Susan's permission to do so, you know, I asked if she would be comfortable, you know, because, you know, I wouldn't be able to share it without featuring her, you know, in it as well. And uh, because she and her husband are investors in psychedelic ventures, you know, she, she, she was fine with that. She said, please just make sure that everyone knows it's legal in the Netherlands. So if you, if, if you look at all my posts through the whole experience, I'm them. going, and here we are in legal in the Netherlands. <laughs> you, know, you know, I said that in every single post. Um, um so so i decided to share you know t- um t- uh, this entire journey literally and the, and the journey itself and i've been blown away by the response from people because uh, so, so i've I shared this um on linkedin on facebook yeah on twitter and on instagram you know which are my four primary you know social channels and First of all, you know, tons of people going, oh, wow, this is so interesting, you know, dying to know more. Um, And then, you know, asking questions, you know, following along with me. Absolutely fascinating. Plus, by the way, um, a number of people from the psychedelics community saying, you know, we're so glad that you are sharing this publicly and, and openly. And I, I noticed I gained a ton of followers from, you know, psychedelic related, you know, businesses.
0: Very good. <laughs>
1: and, and so I would say that, you know, I think we're at a point in time and where, you know, um, th- there is much more openness about many things, including, you know, what I'm focused on, which is openness about sex. You know, I think the time is absolutely right for psychedelics to come to the forefront in a much more, you know, destigmatized and mainstreamed way as long as enough people are willing to be open publicly about their own experiences, their recommendations, because, you know, um, it's it's we who drive that openness, you know, people doing what I did. Um, because, as I say, I was quite stunned by by how very widespread and positive the response was and how much people are really interested and, and really curious. Now, you know, to, um, going back to the point you raised in your question, I do. I do believe that it would be really helpful to find um, a different term for psychedelics. And the reason for that is because one of the quickest ways to make people think differently about something is to change the language around it and the term psychedelics is so um loaded with you know t- um f- for people outside of the community with um you know decades of stereotyping around you know drugs and psychedelics, you know mm-hmm. and um, and so you know, um, I um, I do still believe to your question that it would be great to find a different term or even, you know, several different terms that are a way of talking about um, this area in an umbrella way, but without using the word psychedelic.
0: Do you have an idea what words?
1: <laughs> what I need, Anne, is I need um, somebody with a psychedelics venture to hire me as a consultant to come up with that
0: term. Pay me. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
1: I I have thirty-eight years of experience in advertising, brand building, and marketing. So I am here for hire to help you reposition psychedelics in the psychedelics community and to find the vocabulary that destigmatizes and and has it embraced within the mainstream.
0: Okay. This is gonna be an interesting endeavor in the next couple of years. But I mean um so, I mean, you were, as you we already said, you were kind of a very big um, advertising executive and started in the 80s, 70s, 80s.
1: Yep, that's right. And to me, up, I began my advertising career in London
0: in 1985. Yep. I feel what's starting today is that people, not not only women, men and women are looking back at the early days of their careers or jobs in what industry, in industry whatsoever, and kind of start to realize what kind of traumatizing experience they have had, and sometimes this ends even in TV shows, and um like uh, Fleischmann is in trouble, for example. Maybe you've seen that. Where oh, the woman, I,
1: I have. I thought it was brilliant, by the
0: way. I, I was. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so the 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 woman, the the writer. So it's obviously the writer from the show. She talks about her twenty years at something like GQ, where she always got told like. Oh, um like the next story is yours and it's gonna be great, and then she never gets a story. And I mean I had pretty much suddenly I was like, oh my god, is exactly what I experienced at GQ. And um so and I wonder so if if those experiences from these early days in people's careers are actually have been traumas in a way that we start to realize what it has done to you. So yeah. How was your experience in these days with that kind of topic so
1: so what, what i'd say to that anne is that i'm regularly asked in interviews you know so cindy what sexism did you encounter coming up the ranks in advertising and, uh, and my response is always a fish does not know what water is because sexism and misogyny was all around me but you know as a young woman advertising in the in the eighties. That was just the norm. That was the way it was. And what I would say um, to your question, Anne, is so, you know, um, these days, um, as well as working as a consultant, a public speaker, I also do personal coaching and um, I do personal coaching with men and women. But I have to tell you, um, honestly, through my personal coaching practice, I see all the time brilliant women. Whose careers have been stymied by, um, men who are threatened by them. Okay. And, and it is just so depressing because, you know, every woman I coach is bloody brilliant. They are so impressive, but they have, they have had their career path actively blocked, you know, actively derailed by sexist, misogynistic men. And, and also to your point about trauma, one of the things I have to say to, to the women I coach, um, you know, very often, is you have to get out of where you are currently working, and and the reason for that is um, so um, to my English grandmother, um, you know, you referenced earlier the fact that I'm half English, half Chinese. So my English grandmother was an amazing woman, very influential on me in my childhood, and she was a Christian, but she was very interested in Buddhism. And so, you know, I remember from my childhood, you know, Buddhist sayings that my grandmother would, would regularly quote to us, um, me and my sisters. And th- there was one saying I particularly remember, which I've had occasion to quote to many, many women since. And um, the, the quote goes, you know, my grandmother used to say, the fool says evil cannot touch me, but drop by drop the picture fills. And what I say to these women is, you think you can stick it out, in this workplace. But I'm here to tell you that every one of those daily microaggressions, sorry, is that, that's a problem with it. It, Okay. Right. Every one of those daily microaggressions, micro sexisms every day that is destroying a part of your soul. It's eroding your confidence. It is destroying your belief in what you're capable of. Get the fuck out. Okay. And, um, um, and so you're absolutely right. And, you know, um, all around the world, you know, in every country, here in the U.S., in Germany, you know, there are brilliant women who are being kept down and often actively blocked and, and having their careers derailed by sexism and misogyny and racism and, you know, every intersectional-ism um, in, in the workplace. And it's absolutely bloody appalling. And, you know, the good, the good thing is that now... Um, we are all able to talk about this much more widely than we ever did before because of social media, because of the internet. And, you know, I'm very struck by, um, the exceptional level of female solidarity on LinkedIn. You know, and, and incidentally, if you had told me 10 years ago that one day I would say to you, I'm all about LinkedIn, I would have laughed in your face. Okay. I am all about LinkedIn. LinkedIn is bloody brilliant because LinkedIn makes shit happen in all sorts of ways. And, and so th- that is also where female solidarity comes to the fore, you know, um, workplaces and this kind of sexism
0: and bullying are outed much more. And that gives women more, more courage to, to go. It shouldn't be like this. But I mean, just um, when you say the word should happen, make should happen. I just have to think about your kind of sales pitch. Like I'm the Michael Bay of <laughs> Things or business, I blow shit up. Oh, yep. Oh, yeah. For, for, for our
1: listeners, my LinkedIn bio and, and all all my social media is I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. And, I, 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 and, do you know, fun fact, um, a friend of mine told me the other week that she was recently in a meeting with Michael Bay. And so she said to him, I've got this for, and showed him my tagline and, and he loved it. He thought it was hysterical. So, so at some point I've got to meet Michael Bay. <laughs>
0: But I mean, he's also somebody, if I can say this, I was once in a press conference with him and a couple of Hollywood actors, and he was extremely unpleasant, I yep. have to say. Yep.
1: No, 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 no um, so, And I've heard
0: all those stories as well. Yep. Yeah, uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm that's sure he all is. I yep. can say, right? Yep. But I mean, I thought like, because at the beginning, I didn't check mm. who he was because the actors were in the focus point. Mm. So I always wondered, like, what, what could it mean that you pick him as the person who should be in your, in your short introduction, because I felt like between you and this guy, there's like worlds, but maybe that's the reason why I picked
1: it. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, so, so the way that tagline happened and was um, many years ago, I was in a meeting with some um, potential consultancy clients and I was explaining my consultancy approach to them. So I said to them, I consult very selectively only for clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And then completely off the cuff, I said lightheartedly, I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. And everyone in the meeting laughed. And I walked out and I thought, actually, that's a really good way of summing up what I do. And and so it's, it's a joke, obviously. But but um. Th- but my use of that tagline is not a bit of whimsy or a bit of creative, a bit of fun. It's entirely deliberate because when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do. It repels the ones who don't. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort, and money.
0: I'm a big fan of be your own filter. I encourage everyone to do the same. Okay. But I mean, um coming back to the destigmatizing strategy. So, I mean, I remember there was also a time in journalism when people were like to destigmatize topics or to bring them up or to the surface, they would actually, let's say in talk shows, talk against the, let's say the rather conservative person who was anti-feminist, for example, or anti-psychedelics. So they would say, Oh, what do you know? Kind of like being opponent to them. So, and now it seems that on LinkedIn, uh, which I realize often there's a strategy coming, where people, if somebody would write on your, let's say on your timeline, like, yeah, how can you do psychedelics? They're really bad for you, blah, blah, blah. They make you an addict. So instead of saying like being opposed opponent to this person, you would actually say, oh, I know where you're coming from. I knew also somebody that had a bad experience when I was a teenager. So, and some people say that this would actually lead to a rather bigger destigmatization than just being heads on on confronting the opposite. So, what is a better strategy? What do you think?
1: Right. So, so first of all, in terms of that strategy, ain't nobody got time for that. Anne. Okay? I mean, I mean, by the way, all power to those who are doing it, but I'm, I'm not. You know, I, I would never recommend it. No, no, no who's got time for that? Um, here, here's a different strategy. Okay, because I'm going to give you the example of what I did. Um, to destigmatize make love not porn and other sex state ventures. and I did it very effectively um, because it 's a proven concept so um this would have been um something like nine nine years ago okay I was trying to raise funding for make love not porn, and I was finding it enormously challenging uh, because we are literally the final frontier of investment you know, and so I deliberately um, to, you know i 'm a great believer in in you know building solutions to your own problems okay i realized that i was going to have to pave my own way i had to break down these barriers in my path if i wanted to scale make love not porn to be the billion dollar venture that, that i know it can be um because as as i as i always say to entrepreneurs when you have a truly world changing startup you have to change the world to fit it not the other way around and that is why in 2014 i deliberately um got into what I like to describe as the Steve Jobs business of reality distortion. Because I basically went, if reality will not allow me to build my stuff the way I want to, I'm going to change reality. And what I mean by that is, I deliberately began defining, pioneering and championing my own category, sex tech. So I literally wrote the definition of sex tech. If you Google sex tech, I'm result one on page one. Okay. I coined the hashtag and by the way, sex tech is any form of technology or tech venture designed to innovate, disrupt and enhance in any area of human sexuality and human sexual experience. That's the definition which everyone uses now. Um, I coined the hashtag sex tech. I, I, I didn't invent the term itself, by the way, but I am directly responsible for propagating the hashtag and the term as widely as it's now used today. And I began speaking at tech conferences all around the world on why the next big thing in tech is sex tech. Because I thought at base level, if I just say this loudly enough, often enough and in enough places people will start to believe it. And <laughs> and, 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 and Anne, I did this purely to legitimise my own startup. I did it to create a category that make one can sit within that would drive more receptivity from investors. But today, sex tech is a thing. Sex tech is a known category. When you Google sex tech today, there are all these big data studies on it, which funny enough feature me, but I can't afford to buy them. again okay, As a bootstrapping entrepreneur, you know, um, I, and by the way, I'm widely acknowledged to be the OG of, of sex tech and the godmother of sex tech, as people put it. So, um, that's what I recommend to the psychedelics community. And by the way, again, I'm available to consult on this, but, but literally, you know, um, you know, redefine psychedelics yourselves and do it in a way that then gets populist mainstream take up of of what you decide that definition is. And and there are, you know, um, again, you know, back in 2014, you know, um, nobody was um, talking about sex tech. So it's very easy for me to, me to get to be result number one on page number one of Google. I wrote a piece for Hot Topics on what is sex tech and why is everybody ignoring it? And that is, you know, over the years, that is now the number one result when you Google sex tech.
0: Okay. But, but do you even think, I mean, like you see it in a John Oliver thing, like, He goes back to the time when Nixon started to war on drugs. Like, Uh, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: that's, that's when everything went, went wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, I mean, of course it's, it's important to, to know this, that it's the third wave of psychedelics. Like there has been research before and then 5,000 years ago in a lot of cultures, religions used psychedelics to get, to get, have a spiritual experience. So, but sometimes I wonder how it would be if you would just brand it as something that has just come out. So without a history attached, I'm just a question I'm asking myself.
1: Um, no, uh, no, uh, no. And do and, you know, I love that idea. I love that idea. I think you're absolutely right. You, you, you know, um, in fact, funnily enough, that um that is what somebody was saying to me the other day about my Make Love Not Porn Investor deck. Because in the deck, I talk about the fact that we've been operating for the past 10 years, and we've used the 10 years to break down all the barriers. And th- this this person said to me, honestly, what you have is such a brilliant idea. Forget the past 10 years this idea could not be more relevant. I mean, obviously the relevance just increases, you know, and, and, and they said, just, you know, just, just talk about it. You know, d- don't bother lingering on the past 10 years. Just talk about it now, because this is what the world needs. I think you're absolutely right. I think I
0: say, right. I love that idea. I knew you would understand it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, I find, because I saw you in that show of the, in the new Cara Devinia show, or the, the plan, planet, planet sex or something, right. And it's a really, really good show. Because first of all, a supermodel is opening up about her irritation around gender and sex in a very interesting way, um, and, and attractive. And you can listen to her. Nothing is longer than a TikTok thing. So it's not too long. <laughs> so, but I mean, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but, no, no, but, no, absolutely. Um, right, yeah. So suddenly you're a part of this show. And, um, so you basically. Accelerate, like like a uh, fast track uh, you're suddenly at hulu you're at caro Cara um
1: yeah no we, we, we've seen a real spike in traffic and members off the back of planet sex and um, um, anytime we're in something mainstream and p- people people want what we are the documentary to porns hollywood movie absolutely yeah and so yep. i
0: mean I, I think this is um and in the show like the way she talks about it i mean she has several topics around like um transgender or like the, the, the variety of gender, So, so they're like six or seven episodes now, but I mean, everything feels in a way that it's something that has been just created now. So, and that, that makes it in a weird way attractive because you sometimes don't have to, say, Oh, there's a whole history and you have to go back to the ancient people, which doesn't mean that you shouldn't recognize that, you know, indigenous communities have done many things for thousands of years, and then just uh, Western civilization kind of cut them off, uh, cut their supply off for, for their spiritual uh, experiences. But but I think it could be a very revolutionary thing to say, have you heard of this MDMA that just came out last week? <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh, you have a note. Uh, no, no, I, and I think you're absolutely right. And to your point, this is not about in any way negating the history. You know, um, that, that that will always be there in so many places. But the but the opportunity to mainstream yeah. comes and making making people feel that there is this new solution to all
0: sorts of things. I think you're absolutely right. So if we have new kind of uh, let's say possibilities to to address things, I mean, like she does in her show, like the the um the, the Fleischmann TV show with this woman saying okay 20 years of not being recognized in my career have made me actually numb and depressed which is not has been has not been possible i mean when i was at GQ 5 years ago not possible to even talk about this or to communicate this so so we have kind of problems emerging so we need also new tools to work around these modern problems so which can only be in my perception can be done with psychedelics very effectively
1: yeah yeah i completely concur
0: if you would like to like let's say fast forward 10 years so do you think or do you feel that you have engaged now in a psychedelic journey that has just started
1: oh my god yes yes and no no i'm dying to do this again absolutely (laughs) yeah you bet you bet,
0: but something I'm, else too. I'm all in. I'm all or in. Just, yep. Now you're in your truffle phase, but yep. do you do you look into other oh,
1: experiences? Yep. Um, yep, I mean, I'm completely open to that. As I say, you know, in the past, I just haven't had anything be particularly effective, um, and so you know, to, um, and and so Silas has been fascinating in, in in that in that context because obviously it was something that that absolutely you know had an impact on me. Um, but but yep, I mean, I'm I'm totally open to. Whatever the future brings in this context. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you, um, and do you actually engage? I'm sure you engage also in a little bit of integration afterwards, or you, you have like, I mean, like six to six weeks after you still have this neuroplasticity where you suddenly connect dots or like, reminds you of things that you've forgotten, right? I mean.
1: Well, I will tell you that, um, you know, when I got back to New York, um, I remember that many years ago, um, a friend had stopped by my apartment and he brought me a gift, which was a little brass statue of Ganesh. Oh. So right now, Ganesh is sitting on my table. I, I found Ganesh on my shelves, on my bookshelves. I brought him down to my table. He sits opposite my workstation. I've created a little altar. Um, he's got a candle in front of him. I also discovered that somebody had given me um, some Palo Santo sticks, w- wood, you know. So I have one of those in a little little tray because because I thought, okay, right, let's clear the negative energy. Ganesh is the clearer of obstacles. So I've got one of those next to him. And, and, and my friend... And Martha Tara Lee, who's a Singapore-based sexologist. Last year, she incredibly kindly sent me this gift, which was two red Chinese Ang packets with Ten million fake dollar notes in each of them because I'm looking to raise just under twenty million dollars, and so those are on either side of Ganesh. And so every morning I light the candle. I go, okay, Ganesh, clear those obstacles. So that's that's absolutely an impact that I'm now living with in my life daily after
0: my journey. <laughs> so Ganesh is your business plan support.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs>
0: exactly. That's great. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's it's interesting that people have these moments, I mean, I had one too, and in their trips that ge- gave them information, sometimes not like, well, here's your information, but with symbols, with moments that brought them on a path that brought them success, but in a way that it allowed them to be maybe way more authentic in the end that, they, oh, I have to adjust to a business world that nobody ever knows anyway, what that exactly is kind of and then one guy comes and says like oh fuck the business world yeah exactly <laughs> it's again something else so but i mean i feel like a lot of people and i want to say women also um but men too actually but i talk to more women about this i think the, this sometimes the, the path clears in a way that they would not expect it to be cleared people fall away business partners fall away industries they leave industries behind. I mean, I left media behind because I could not, I didn't want to be there anymore in the way I was. So it's very interesting that it's almost that you, you can't almost prevent it. It's just going to happen to you after you've done this, which is great because you just have to say, okay, just keep going. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else you want to put out there that, that you wanted to mention in terms of psychedelics that were very specific for you?
1: Um, no, I, th- I think, I think I, I just want to say that, you know, I, I am thrilled at, as I said earlier, the sex positivity that I've encountered within the psychedelics community. And obviously there is a massive crossover in terms of the use of psychedelics, um, in relationship, sex therapy, et cetera, you know, and, and so, you know, we are both working in utterly related fields and, I, I would, I would just love to see, because I think part of mainstream and destigmatizing also is simultaneously mainstream and destigmatizing both of those areas by collaborating on them.
0: Well, I think also the, the, the most interesting thing coming out of this now between the sex and psychedelics connection. And we had Molly Malouf on a podcast and, and roughly addressed a couple of these things, these questions around the, the two topics. But I feel to me, the most revolutionary thing is that. Obviously, a lot of women, if, if we talk about women now, um, and men too, again, ha- have had a certain kind of sexual abuse, which obviously inf- affected their sexuality in a, in a much bigger way than they ever could think of. And I want to say it's roughly 50, 60% of people, I guess, out there which is kind of coming as a it was mentioned in the study that it's much higher than we all think. And um I find it super interesting how people who have experienced sexual trauma getting into a psychedelic therapy or experience working around this trauma and basically redefining their sexuality afterwards not necessarily to be, become gay or lesbian or or trans, but just even if they stay in their, let's say heterosexual in this case, context, they suddenly start to find other people attractive, other attachment models attractive, even other nationalities sometimes attractive because it resonates more with them what they kind of like now or something. And this to me is something that is so interesting and is just beginning to come to the surface that this is a possibility. I mean, which I have to say, I experienced this by myself. It's a complete transformation in terms of, um, yeah, relearning for yourself a healthy sexual behavior, actually.
1: Um, No, that is fantastic. I have to tell you, I mean, um, I was really um, blown away to find that uh, at Make Love Not Porn, we hear from survivors of rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse. We hear from female, male, trans, non-binary survivors, who tell us that um, our social sex videos um, help them reclaim their bodies. We have helped them feel able to be sexual again in a situation where porn is obviously way too triggering. And it's not just people who view our videos. Our contributors, our Make Love Not Porn stars, some of them have told us that um, sharing themselves sexually in a completely safe and trustworthy space has helped them process and heal from sexual trauma. Um, So so this is a use case that I never envisaged, by the way, when I designed this startup. So it's amazing to learn this. Um, But you're right. This is so important. Um, I think it's phenomenal that psychedelics can help with this. And I think it's um, what what you say bears testament to something that I've been, you know, trying people to understand publicly for the past 14 years of Make Love, Not Porn, which is because we're so messed up about sex, we default it to an act, to a thing we do, It's not. It's personality. Who we are sexually informs everything about how we feel about ourselves, other people, our relationships, our lives, our happiness. And, you know, destigmatizing sex means getting people to understand that when you are at ease with yourself as a sexual being, that is transformative in every single area, area of, of your life. And so For I sure. think, that, I think this is, it's wonderful that psychedelics um, can help in this way. And that is absolutely a use case that needs to be made much more publicly known and mainstreamed as a way to, you know, treat um, trauma and, and, you know, everything that comes out of that.
0: Well, I think it's just starting to kind of being out there that this is one of the topics that is, um, strongly connected in a way that we never, I mean, I never grew up with the idea that there's a connection between how you behave as a sexual person and a trauma traumatizing person. I mean, like I would say, I know about this now three years. (laughs) So, which is a very short time compared to when I started to, you know, engage in, in, in practices. So, um, but, um, yeah, I think it's it's transform it transforms the complete um perception of I know, of porn of what sexuality is that even if if touch can mean something already, not necessarily like the practices like like you said said it earlier that we know from pornography that it also incli- includes like I don't know, like the way you dress, the way you walk, the way you speak, I don't know, everything. So it's not this, oh, there's this sex that's happening there and there yeah. it's not. So yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's everything. It's, it's a very interesting, um, very interesting future we have ahead of us. <laughs> so. All right. Um, it was, of course, I knew it would be fantastic, but um, of course we could go on for hours. So great having you on the show.
1: I really enjoy this conversation. It's it's so important. Um and and I do just want to say to our listeners um if I can say one final thing. Sure, yeah. Of course. Um you know, if you like what I what I've talked about, please do support me and my startup. Go to make love not Sign up, subscribe, consider becoming a make love not porn star. We have a revenue share model. I foresaw the creator economy 14 years ago. Um but but also, you know, I am um, I um, uh, um, I am, as I said, I'm, I'm raising funding, so any investors out there, it's Cindy at com. but also I'm very interested, as I said, in this crossover between psychedelics and sex positivity, and so I am totally available for consulting or speaking in this context. If anyone wants to contact me again, Cindy at makelovenotporn.com. And I see our parallel paths of destigmatization as, you know, really intertwined. And the world will be a better place when we all mainstream what we're doing with no fear, shame, guilt, embarrassment around any of it.
0: Yeah. And once you uh, start psychedelics, your shame is falling ap- apart anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Health Club show and please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or if you would like to sign up for our newsletter, please go to www.thenewhealthclub.de and subscribe to the newsletter. Again, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, of course, there's also a new health club now, or even better, sign up to a newsletter on thenewhealthclub.de. I talk to you very soon.